This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Welcome into episode 266 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. The Bruins with an impressive win over the Colorado Avalanche last night at the Garden, a team that you know many predict to be among the final contestants in the Western Conference. Uh, Bridget Scott, opening shifts. Uh, that was just an extremely entertaining hockey game. And that's, you know, I think what we all love to watch as fans, right? Right from literally right from puck drop when you see the starting lineups where the Avalanche go with. Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Jonathan Druin, Kale McCarr, Devon Taves as their starting five. And Jim Montgomery is like, all right, here's what I've got. David Pasenak, Brad Marchand, Charlie Coyle, Charlie McAvoy, Hampus Lindholm. And that stayed really the main matchup almost all game. There was a little bit of a stretch in the second period where Montgomery flipped Pasenak and DeBrusque and, uh, DeBras got out there against that McKinnon line, but that you had star on star pretty much all night. And ultimately the the Bruins win that matchup. David Pasternak has a hat trick. McKinnon did score. That actually came when he got on during a line change uh, away from the Bruins top guys, but entertaining hockey star power all over the place. Um, and you know, a, Jim Montgomery shied away from calling it a, a statement win after the game. He he downplayed it a little bit, but I'll call it a statement win. I think that was uh, that was a big one for the Bruins to show, like, yeah, we can go up against one of the most high-powered offenses in the league, Avalanche number two offense in the NHL, and we we can play that game. We can go star on star, and we can win. My opening shift has to do with Jake DeBrusque, who we had a chance to talk to after the game um, on Thursday. And also, Coach talked a little bit about him as well after the game. He had a goal and an assist. Um, One of his better games, you could just watch him on the ice, even though, like Scott mentioned, lines have been changed a little bit um, to where they were even on the road trip. So he's playing in a little bit of a different situation, um, not with Marshawn and Thursday's game, but um, able to put that goal in, which I thought was going to get called back. Actually, I thought that was the one where Zaka was like a millimeter on side, right? So um, that was a close one. Uh, but anyway, he gets the goal, and it was a nice play either way, um, whether it would have counted or not. Um, but it did, luckily for the Bruins. Uh, and the assist on Pasternak's second goal. And 
when we talked to Montgomery after the game, he said, um, it seems like every game is his best game in the second half of the season. And since December 30th, which, you know, little less than a month ago, he's had six of his 10 goals. So he really has turned it on. Um, if you want to call that the second half, like after Christmas, um, second half. Yeah. He's really picked it up. Yeah. He's been so much better. And it's, it's not just because of the scoring, like, and, and I know, um, I know there were a lot of analytics probably telling me that he's been playing well all year outside of the scoring, but there was just some significant like hard back checks yesterday in particular. And maybe he was doing that earlier in the year, but it just wasn't for some reason it wasn't jumping off the page to me last night. It was so I don't know. Um, I just think he's been playing really well. When we talked to him, he said, that's the worst you're going to see from me. Meaning that stretch when people were kind of getting on him and like, he kind of acknowledged it, but I don't know. He was, that's the thing. Like people don't really understand about him. He at least was trying to be like reflective and accountable of not producing in that time frame. And he's not the kind of diva that people say he is. He's really not. He, he goes like after in post game, he's very, he usually is pretty reflective. Give, doesn't give you a, a non-answer. And he, he, I don't know. I, I hope people have come around on him at this point because I, I don't see a reason for them to be as hard as they, I understood it at the time when he wanted the trade, but we're past that. And I feel like yeah. people have changed their opinion yeah. a little bit at this point. I, I definitely want to circle back to DeBrus because I have more thoughts on him too. But I would say like even that, what you're talking about, Bridget has changed because I do think earlier in his career at times, like, I mean, look, he went almost three quarters of a season after the trade request without even talking to media. Like he just straight up avoided us. And while I don't think that was the biggest deal in the world, I did think it was a sign of a little bit of immaturity. And I do think like even earlier this season, it, you're right. Like he was accountable. He answered questions about it. Um, he was pretty transparent. And I think that's another area where he's just grown and matured. Yeah. And it's you guys, obviously being in the locker room, you guys know you talk to him, but for, for most fans out there, they only see, they only see what the Bruins put out on their website or on Twitter as far as like player interactions post game. And they just were kind of shying away from posting DeBrusque. So while you guys had access to him, the common fan didn't really have access to him during, during his struggles this year. And that kind of also may have been why like your people pile up because they aren't, they're seeing him not perform, but they're not hearing, you guys are hearing from him, but most people aren't able to, unless you're just like reading, you know, um, every newspaper in town, every, after every game. But um, so for me, uh, Park, Parker Watherspoon has been, and I just want to say, I want so bad for his name to be Witherspoon <laughs> because it's just a little bit nicer to say. You, you and Jim Montgomery both. <laughs> yeah. Parker, Parker Witherspoon just is so much easier to say than Watherspoon, the, the elongated O, but Parker Watherspoon has caught in the eye of Bruins fans. And for no other reason than he's just playing really solid, um surprising hockey like going into the season no nobody I don't, I don't want to say nobody but most people didn't know who he was um and you know to be fair to those people myself included he he only has he's played 17 games for the Bruins this year and he has 29 career NHL games so heading into the season he didn't have many games at all under his belt he's a plus three um he's just a steady uh low risk 
blue collar left shot defenseman on the third pair. And, you know, you kind of contrast him with how people are just upset with, I mean, again, I, I didn't think last night was a great night for Grizzlick. Um, he just kind of seems like he's just not where he used to be mentally, physically. I don't know. It's just, he, he seems, he seems, um, he's struggling obviously, but whether or Watherspoon, he's like, he's like that steady third pair guy that every team kind of wants. And it's what the Bruins envisioned Forbert being, but I just think people like him better than Forbert. Um, at least right now, like I think he should get a continued look. I think a lot of people feel the same way. Yeah, he's, he's definitely playing well. And it's, we talked a little bit about how, you know, Brandon Carlo's getting close to returning. Derek Forbert's practicing again, still on LTIR. We're not sure exactly when he'll be activated, but like the, the Bruins do have decisions to make on defense coming up. And right now it would be really difficult, A, to send Weatherspoon down, B, to even take him out of the lineup, like, and even just have him as a seventh defenseman. He is clearly playing like one of their, I don't know, what, four best defensemen right now. So uh, he's he's moved up and down the lineup a little bit. He's got flipped left to right side. Um, seems to complement pretty much anyone he's been with. So, you know, I, I think I think Grizzly had actually been playing pretty well recently. I, I do think Thursday was a little bit of a down game for him. But, um, you know, maybe he's not quite back to, like, peak Grizzly from years past. But I do think I've seen improvement from, you know, say pre-Christmas when he was really pretty consistently struggling. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be tough because, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a trade imminent and I, you know, maybe they'll surprise us, but there's going to be a lot of bodies back there pretty quickly. Um, you know, Mason Laura is the one who he can go down to Providence with no waivers or anything. Like that's a quote unquote easy move, but I thought Lori, Laura, had a really strong game Thursday too. Like, I think you see his confidence growing and him making some good breakouts, skating with the puck in transition, uh, getting involved in the offensive zone. And it's like, I don't know that anyone really deserves to come out of the lineup or be sent down right now, but someone's going to have to. Yeah, it's not like they're just not going to put Brendan Carlo back in. Um, Derek Forbert's still a little bit further off, but um, then we kind of talked about that last episode. But uh, Brian, you want to hear something else funny about uh, Wotherspoon? He said his last name's hard to say. Well, some people in Boston would say his first name's hard to say because it it's like Paca, right? So uh, one of the reporters who has a very thick Boston accent asked Jake Zabrusk what he thought of Paca. And he goes, what? And then he's like, Paca. And he's like, I don't know what you're saying. And he's like, Paca Wotherspoon. He's like, oh, I should know the accent by now. Like, I should know the Boston accent. That is, that is a tough, that is a tough name to say for, for those with a severe Boston accent. Cause you have to, cause you're going, you're going Paca Wot. Paca Wotherspoon. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. It's, and, and I heard it uh, in, in that full Boston accent last night, and Jake DeBrus was so confused for a second. Uh, it, I don't know if they aired it or they have it on the uh, website, but it was the last question, and it's pretty funny to listen to. I was going to say, I, I wasn't I wasn't in this scrum. I was elsewhere. Was this Connor Ryan or, or something? No, like it wasn't Connor Ryan. <laughs> so, <laughs> the so, side, accent. So, sidebar. Connor's, we... Connor's selfie. Me, me and Ty, brother. Sidebar, yeah. can uh can can 
can we get some clarity if not right now maybe maybe later on just like like the boston accent in general it just skips towns it's like you have like like malden has it like dorchester has it bill Ricca has it watertown doesn't well not watertown does but like it's like random every other town it's like boston accent no accent it's like what can I, can you explain that to me? I don't get it. I, I think there's like a wealth thing. Like I, I think like upper middle class and higher tends to not have it. That this is just my theory. I don't really have any empirical evidence other than well, where I live. But... I live in Southern Mass, and we have like a combo of like a Boston and a Rhode Island accent, which is even more mm-hmm. confusing. You guys should listen to my dad talk. Well, what's 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 funny is um what's funny is yes that 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 accent is is is. A horse of a different color but what what's what blows my mind and i'm gonna get some people upset here but like lowell and bill Ricca are literally 10 to 15 miles north of the new hampshire border but they but you would think it, they, that they were underneath oh, the td yeah. garden that yeah, one makes yeah. no sense to me you know but and yeah, well, it's I'll, like I'll get some people pissed off with that one but that right, i, I know like, grew up in Nashua, like bill Ricca now lives in lowell <laughs> Yeah. Right, but I I grew up in like Nashville. Everyone, so got, yeah, but Go it's like everyone not. everyone moved out here from the city like fifty years ago, and then just never lost the accent. So right, so, right. I'll I'll get this back on the rails to Weatherspoon after one final comment about um Boston slash the Boston Rhode Island accent. My dad he'll go beer and bear are the opposite words, so he'll go Bridget. There's a beer in the backyard. And I'm like, why are you freaking out about a beer in the backyard? And I walk out and there's a black bear. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <sighs> and then he'll be like, Bridget, can you get me a bear? And I'm like, okay, he means beer. Um, anyway, that's that's a fun one. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I'll get us back on the rails here to uh, Parker Paca Weatherspoon, who has now played almost as many games with Boston as he has in Providence this season. He has 19 games with the Providence Bruins and 17 games with the Boston Bruins. So he's, he's only two games away from being even. And I feel like he's, Oh, Brian's frozen. <laughs> yeah. P- people on people watching on YouTube are getting a great shot of just frozen, smiling. Brian. <laughs> at least he like, he froze in the best possible like face. He's like smiling right at the camera. Usually it's like one eye open and the other one like rolled back in your head. Like, um, but yeah, so He's he's been with the team for a while now, um, and he seems to have made a case for himself to stick around. Uh, we're having more technical difficulties today, but uh, to is there anything else you wanted to say, Scott, about Parker Weatherspoon while we try to get Brian back? Uh, no, not really. Obviously, just highlight you know the assist on on DeBrus's goal, which was just a real simple shot, clearly looking for deflection, uh, and got it and again that's you know i think montgomery's talked about this how he said like even going back to the summer when he first met weatherspoon via phone call after he signed he said you know what stood out was just how much weatherspoon understood his own game like he told montgomery you know here here's what i do well here's areas that aren't a strong suit for me um and was just like very in tune with what his game is what his style of play is what he can and can't do. And he goes out on the ice and, and just does that. Like he, he, he knows what he can do. He does it. He knows what he can't do. So he doesn't try to do it. 
And so someone asked him, who do you model your game after? And he said, Duncan Keith was one of the guys he looked up to growing up. Obviously, Duncan Keith's probably someone a lot of defensemen in this generation looked up to um, because at, at that time, the Blackhawks were so good. And he was, you know, one of the best defensemen in the league at the time. So that's it kind of makes sense. I mean, he's more of a, a stay back defenseman. He said because um, him and DeBrusque played against each other what league was it? It was before, obviously, well before they were in the NHL, they played against each other. And he said, uh, Wotherspoon said, every defenseman in that league thinks that they're an offensive defenseman, but I had to change my, the way I played because in the NHL, it's not that way. Not everybody gets to be an offensive defenseman. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, and that's that's like one of the toughest things for young players to kind of learn and accept. It's the same thing with forwards, right? Like Johnny Beecher was a first-round pick who thought, you know, I'm going to score at every level, and at some point has to come to the realization that while, yes, you're always working to score more, like you're ultimately going to cut your career as a pro doing something else. Like your defense, face-offs, penalty killing, physicality, that's going to have to be your strength and young players who learn that and are willing to put the effort into that side of the game. Like you're, you're going to set yourself up better for a long career than the guy, than the kid who just thinks he's always going to score. He's always going to be an offensive defenseman and refuses to adapt or accept any sort of different role. So so, so I I saw that you, we're interacting with people on, on Twitter recently about Watherspoon and you were pretty much saying like, yeah, he's playing well. Um, not sure he's a long-term fixture in Boston. Do you still feel that way? And if so, what, why do you, why do you feel that way necessarily? No, I would say that's definitely changing because he just keeps playing well game after game. So right now my, my opinion would be, it would be, really hard to send him down. It'd be really hard to keep him out of the lineup. Um, well, this ties into the conversation we had. We got a, a mailbag question about this. Which free agents are the Bruins not as likely, like what, which ones are least likely to come back? And Scott said, maybe even all three defensemen that are free agents, uh, which is Shattenkirk, Grizzlick, and Forbert, he could see the Bruins letting them go. And then if, if that's the case, then Wotherspoon has a role here next season and you may see him get a new contract. You may see him fill in that Forbert gap um, for a cheaper price. So you, you get a similar thing Forbert leaves um, or, you know, if, if any two or one or two or three of the 
free agent defenseman leave, you at least kind of have this idea that he could be one of the guys to fill in and, and Lori as well. Yeah. And like, I, I also don't think, I don't necessarily think Wotherspoon needs to be an everyday player. Like he's not, you know, he's not like a 22 year old kid who's still developing and therefore he needs to play every night somewhere. Um, like, I think he can be the kind of defensive news maybe in and out. If he sits three games in a row, it's not really going to affect him. Like, I think he can get back in and, and play his game because, you know, it it is a little bit of a simplified game. Like, that's, you know, he probably doesn't have to be in every single night to, to keep that up. So he's sort of, um, you know, emerging as like that perfect kind of swing defenseman, like sixth, seventh on the depth chart in out can kind of fill in anywhere. Yeah. I, when I, when I was talking long-term, I was, I was more so talking beyond this year too, right? Like if he keeps this up, I mean, you know, th- third, third pair defensemen, like they, they can surprise you. I mean, the, the Bruins had a, you know, four or five year stretch of, of championship caliber hockey and Adam McQuaid was a staple on their third pair. And I don't think many people envision, you know, who Adam McQuaid was before he all of a sudden was a fan favorite. It just, Sometimes yeah, organically you find the, the right players. You made the one. He is. He is a one hundred. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, for their two hundred season, maybe Parker Watherspoon is a is a top top one hundred <laughs> player, two hundred player. Hey, maybe, maybe I'll see him today because sometimes he goes to the PC men's games and scouts because they have two guys that are draft eligible. I don't know. I see him around different rinks because he's part of like recruiting and develop, developing talent. So sometimes he's just at rinks and I, I see him other places. Um. Okay. Yeah. So definitely a great development with, with Watherspoon, um, Paca Watherspoon. Yeah. And, and one last thing I would just note on him, like defensemen do tend, like you do see more late bloomers on defense than up front. And, you know, as an example, I would think of Kevin Miller as someone who, you know, didn't even make his NHL debut until he was 26 years old and yeah. ends up establishing himself as a third pairing regularly. You know, I think he had what two or three full seasons in Providence before he came up. He was an older college grad out of Vermont. Like it, it can happen. So, um, you know, they're, yeah. like there's sort of a, a model that Motherspoon might follow. Parker is 26 and he's, of course, he's an August birthday. Great guy. <laughs> Very close to my birthday, but um, yeah, so he is 26 right now. Um, so look, Scott, to your opening shift about the star power last night, David Pasternak kind of put it on display right away. Yeah, that just a great first shift from the Bruins starting five. Uh, got right into the offensive zone, pressure on, couple early shots on goal, and then just as it looks like the abs, you know, finally have control about. 40 seconds in, Makar gets the puck on a stick. You think he's going to clear it out. Everyone's going to go off for a change. Charlie Coyle makes a great poke check, just reaches out, steals it from Makar, goes right to Pasternak, who turns and roofs it. Um, that was yeah, an that, insane that, shot. I, yeah. I said to Scott, like, how the hell did he do that? The, Watching the, it the, live in full speed, it was like, what just happened? That was insane. Yeah, and it was it was in and out so fast. The ref yeah. actually ruled no goal first, and then quickly like changed it and was like, "Oh no, that did go in." But yeah, that that shift really kind of set the tone for the night, where the Bruins got the upper hand early. The 
you know, the Avs certainly made a pushback in the second period. They had a really good second period, 16 shots on goal. And then the Bruins just collectively as a team shut everything down in the third, only gave up four shots on goal, which, you know, for a team that early in the season had some trouble kind of closing out games with a one goal lead, really encouraging sign. They've been getting better at that. And now to slam the door shut like that on one of the best offenses in the league, um, really encouraging. And, and yeah, just, just in general to see the Bruins stars kind of embrace that matchup. Like Pasenak said after the game, that's, you know, that that's fun when you're out there in those matchups. He, he did say, you know, McKinnon's uh, kind of a, a different beast and, and you wouldn't be upset if you, you don't get that matchup, but Nonetheless, like those guys clear embrace it. Coyle talked about taking pride in that matchup. And I thought this was a big game for Coyle too, because he's the guy sort of in that group that, you know, wouldn't have been in a kind of star and star matchup last year. And now he is, he's the one centering Martian and Pasternak. And he more than held his own out there with and against all those guys last night. He has, like I said, the steal from Makar. On the first goal, he has a steal from McKinnon on uh, Pasternak's empty netter. So very strong game for him, noticeable at both ends. Yeah, it's, it's this kind of time where I like to remind the people who argued with me back in 2019 that it was stupid to trade uh, for Charlie Coyle, that they were very wrong. Um, Ryan Donato, we can't get rid of Ryan Donato. This is crazy. It's, I was like, you guys are crazy. Uh, Charlie Coyle is way better. Um, and... As of right now, he's your number one center. So I'm going to take a victory lap every time he does this. <laughs> My friends that said, oh, we don't want him. Uh, he's been great. And his contract, I know people were complaining about his contract a few years back. They said, you know, he's he's a third line center. He shouldn't be making this much money. Well, look where he is now. Um, and, you know, it, he he hasn't had the ability to move higher up in the lineup because Bergeron and Krejci were there most of the time he was here. I know there has been other opportunities that they threw him up there and it didn't stick at first, but now that he's had an extended period of time being a top six center, he looks like he has the confidence and skill of a top six center. So, I mean, Coyle has been great and and certainly a top six center. Um, I, I think if anybody was to emerge as like the number one center this year, we probably would have said, maybe Zach over Coyle just because if we thought he had a higher offensive ceiling, but Coyle has been outperforming him offensively too. Um, you know, I, I still think like, you know, the, the number, the numbers may say low otherwise, and that he could be a low end true number one center, but uh, this year, but he, he's still not a true number one center. And, and, and I still think it's like, you still have to question like, can this Bruins team accomplish what they want to if, if Charlie Coyle is like their number one center even though he's playing like a number one center, but I think you guys understand what I'm saying. Like to match up against McKinnon uh, in a seven game series would be a different animal though. I will say like, he did well in the one game sample. He, he, he did. And, and, and like, and that's exactly why it's like, you know, this is not to discredit him. It's just like kind of a real conversation. Um, but like the Bruins in general, like you watched the avalanche last night and you watch them against every other team in the league or most teams in the league. And it's like, like you watch them against the Maple Leafs, right? And McCarr and McKinnon are doing whatever they want out there. Um, for years now, the Bruins have had this structure, regardless of what players filter in and out of the lineup um, and often on the roster. Like star players in the NHL just like 
they don't have they never have their way with the Bruins. Like the Bruins always make it hard on them. And I don't want to say they make them look pedestrian out there, but like, you know, they'll go most of an entire hockey game and and you could just tell that like it's not as easy against the Bruins as it is against other teams for these star players to do their thing. And yeah, here and there they break through because they're elite, but I think that's a good sign for the Bruins as a team in general. Yeah, there's only been a few games I can think of that that all of a sudden it's it's like ugly early against the Bruins. It's like five nothing. Like there's only a few games in the last several seasons I can think of. Like there was one Carolina game uh, that they just I think they lost like six to one and it was kind of ugly. Um, but at least uh, I think Clifton fought D'Angelo, so that made that made up for some of it um, <laughs> for some of the crappy uh, offense. But Scott, you were definitely looking something up just up just now. Yeah, so I was I was trying to look up where Coyle ranks among centers in scoring this season and filtering through NHL.com because they label some guys as centers who aren't actually centers. But it looks like Charlie Coyle currently ranks 32nd among centers in points. So that's not even like a on a per-game basis or filtering five-on-five five or anything, just total points. So – yeah, I guess to to what Brian said, like thirty second would be low end number one center. That would be um, still your first. That is that's still one. There's thirty two teams. That's still your number one guy. Um, yeah, because no one else is right. higher than him either on the Bruins. So yeah, and I guess you know, obviously, the obvious question or follow up would be like to be a true cup contender. Do you you need better than that from from your number one center? Um, I guess, you know, I guess we're going to see because I, I spoiler, I don't think the Bruins are going to add a true number one center before this trade deadline, but um, maybe they'll surprise us. Did you guys want to talk about DeBrusque a little bit and then go to our ups and downs for the week? Because I know we all still had a little bit left to say about DeBrusque, Um, which by the way, (laughs) in the scrum, he came out with um, stitches in his jaw, like in his chin. And so he had a few stitches. He said he accidentally lifted someone's stick into his face. And he said, I should have yard sailed and pretended I got my stick by the guy who's kidding, obviously. Um, and by the way, they would they don't call that anymore. Like if you if you're responsible for the stick hitting you in the face, don't they don't they usually say that's not a high stick? Right. Like if you it shouldn't be. Like by definition, it shouldn't be. Yeah. Sure. Sometimes, so, sometimes they fall for it and call it anyways because they're not yes, really good at Yes, exactly. That's true. We had a whole thing about this as well. But yeah, he came out. He said the stitches hurt a lot, um, and so he had like two or three stitches in his in his jaw. So he he got that in the first period as well. So he played with that for the rest of the game. But uh, that's just an aside because I didn't know if anyone else saw that he had that happen to him. Um, and I obviously, anytime I see someone get hit in the face, I'm like, ah, that's, you know, and he still played. So um, which hockey players do. So Scott, you said you still had more to say about DeBrusque and the maturity that you've seen from him. Yeah. Well, what one of the things that really stood out to me post game was when he was talking about, you know, getting going, putting up points now versus early in the season. And he said that he knew he was going to get out of it. And he said in the past, that might not have been the case in the past. He would, he would slump and he'd wonder, how am I going to get going? How am I going to turn this around? And he said, even earlier this early this season, even though the points weren't there, he knew that he could do it. And he knew 
that he could get out of it and get on track. And, um, you know, sometimes that's, that's obviously easy to easier to say when you come out on the other side, you can look back and say, Oh, you know, I knew I was going to be fine. But I think even talking to him earlier this season, like you could kind of hear that even at the time where it was, you know, he, he was certainly frustrated. He admitted to being frustrated, but he also said like he thought he was playing pretty well. He thought he was doing the right things. He felt like it was coming for him. Um, I do remember there was one time where he said he was a little concerned because he felt like he hadn't been getting as many chances recently. And I think any, any score will tell you like that's when you do actually get concerned is when you're not even getting chances. Um, but there were stretches in there where he was getting chances and not burying them. Um, you know, we, we talked about it though. And I think the biggest change is just how much more he's going to scoring areas, how much more he's getting to the net front, how aggressive he's being uh, driving to the net, getting pucks to the net, which was lacking a little bit at times early this year. So, uh, but that all kind of ties together, right? Like it's all confidence. It's, you know, you tend to go to the net more when you're confident that, that you can get there and that you're going to get rewarded when you do get there. Whereas when you're, you're lacking confidence, maybe you defer more and instead of driving to the net yourself, you pull up and you look around at your options and hope someone else drives to the net. Like that, it, it, it can all kind of come together, but it, it just, he looks like a player that's just so much more confident right now. And I, you know, getting finally getting points. It, it really all ties together with him. Yeah. And you know, you, you just said it all right there and confidence is key, which, which I knew all along. And that's why it's like to get confidence. It's a catch 22 because to get confidence, you got to find the score sheet, but I feel like, and I felt at the time, it's like you just go like go to those dirty areas and you will find the score sheet and then the confidence will come. It was for me, it was like, where's the reluctance to, 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 to do those, those things consistently, because if you do it consistently, a puck will go off your shin padded in and then there you go. And, 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 but any, in any event, eventually he found it and, and now he's, now he's going. And um, again, this is why like, when he's not playing, uh, when he's not producing and he's not playing with um, all that he, I think can, even though the analytics will say that he is playing well, I, I think there's all, there's still more he can bring because he's a, he's a really good player when he wants to be um, like, you'll, you won't, you won't, you'll never hear me get on Jacob Loco who isn't scoring, which by the way, he got his first goal last night because I don't expect it out of him. I expect it out of DeBrusque and, and, you know, to be consistent, I'm applauding him now because he's playing the way that he's capable of. And that's why when he's not playing, I'll also call yeah. it up. I just muted myself again because Jake's probably on my computer. But. <laughs> yeah, I, so I was doing some math yesterday as well. And Lauko, so Lauko's played 73%, played in 73% of the Bruins games this season. He's played quite a few, um, more more so than in the past, obviously. And Lorai has actually played 61% in 61% of the Bruins games. So he's played more games in Boston than he has in Providence this year. So if in case people were kind of losing track of where these guys are at um, in terms of how much playing time they're getting or how many games they've been involved in, those guys are, are both higher 
percentage, I'm sure, than people might have thought. But you can see the games mounting. Lauko, it's funny because in the past, Lauko was kind of an up and down guy, but this year he hasn't been. Um, like he was having transactions and going back to Providence and coming back to Boston. And this year he's stuck around and he played on the third line on Thursday night. And yeah, he scored real pretty early too. Um, and very excited about that. But then he, he didn't get that much playing time after that. Uh, his minutes were still pretty low. Um, what? Um, uh, because you, because you're talking about Loco and his goal, it's my mind just jumped and I don't, I don't think he's necessarily going to be in our who's up, who's down. But Morgan Geeky is playing some really strong hockey. Like his puck possession and his effort level is like should be really applauded. Because I, I don't know if you guys picked up on that either last night, but it was it was very evident last night. Like nobody takes the puck off a stick in the offensive zone, and he and he knows how to use his size. And I just want to give him a, a shout out because also his his foot speed seems to have been getting better too. And maybe that's just like knowing the systems more or getting more confident in the, in a new team. But my knock on him earlier in the year was like, yeah, he's he's a big body. He protects the puck well. He's kind of smart, but he doesn't seem like he's the quickest player. But he's a powerful skater, and I wasn't giving him that credit earlier on, and, and I want to give it to him now. Yeah, he Geeky had one especially awesome shift last night where he had like multiple plays of just holding onto the puck, protecting it under pressure, and then making like good passes back to the point, leading to to shots. Um, and I, I think I tweeted at the time, but like, I immediately thought I was like, that looks like someone who's learning from Charlie Coyle. Like it was, it was Coyle-esque puck protection. Um, and they're, they're before, similar, like they're both big and they both are really hard to take the puck away from. Yeah. Before we run through more who's up, who's down. I, I did want to follow up on DeBrusque and ask you guys a question. Um, does it at all change how you feel about like the possibility of, trading him because when when we were talking about like you know we've gotten mail bay questions about do you trade debrush should they whatever and my take for a while was like well you can't trade him while he's slumping you can't trade him when his value's at its lowest well now he has some value again do you look at it and think hey he's playing well he's helping the bruins win i'm not even thinking about trading him or is there a part of you that thinks like maybe cash in while his value's on the upswing. No, I I still keep the same opinion that you're better off with him this season. Um, now that he's actually producing like a top six uh, winger, you and you need, to, uh, you're, we already said you're probably missing another top six forward. Why would you trade one out? Like I, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't make sense that he'd be moved at this deadline either for either reason. Um, you know, his value may have gone up. Sure. But if your end goal is to extend him and resign him, then I mean, which I think it is, then keep him. He makes your team better in the playoffs if he's playing like this. So I, why would you try to, why would you want to get rid of someone if, if they're playing like this, um, then they could do this in the playoffs. I know Brian, you, you look like you maybe have a different opinion, but no, I, don't. I, have, I haven't changed. I think he's with the team through the end of the season. I don't think he's getting traded. No, my, my honest answer is I, I have no interest in trading him if he's playing like this. And I mean, unless, unless there was a trade where Scott, as you've put it in the past, it's a clear upgrade. But my question is who is trading a clear upgrade for like who, who would, who would, who would knowingly want to lose? Tra- like, you know what I mean? So um, yeah, it's like, a, I don't necessarily know that DeBrus could get you what you 
yeah, you, you, yeah, no, my answer is no. My answer is no. Uh, I'm not interested in trading him um, this year because because you, you just said it. You, you do need the top six talent, and there's always the possibility. The what's annoying about DeBrusque is when he's even when he's slumping, I'm always kind of on the fence about it because it's like, well, he can't like he can produce at that level. He's go. You, you think he's going to at some point, right? Um, but to answer your question, no, I'm 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 good with him for now. Scott, yeah. did you change your mind about it or? No, I, I'm still okay. the same opinion, which is if he's playing like this, I want to keep him. Um, but if if he were part of a trade for a clear upgrade, whoever that might be, and obviously it would have to be a package. It's not going to be a one-for-one one deal. But, you know, I'm just thinking like, it, say the Bruins end up being players for like an Elias Lindholm. Money has to get moved out somewhere as part of that trade. So it's like, would Calgary be interested in DeBrusque as part of that package? Now that said, I don't know that I even like that trade because Elias Lindholm's not having a great season and maybe a change of scenery helps and gets him going. But I, I don't actually know that that's even like a clear, clear upgrade right now um, mm-hmm. with the way that the two, two, I mean, two players are playing. The the only way to like make things interesting. And, and again, I, I'm not, I'm just talking I'm not even like doing a numbers crunch here. Like, but if there's a package involving like Grizzlick and DeBrusque, like, or something like that, I'm sure there could be some enticing proposals you could send my way. Um, if money made sense and whatnot, but yeah, I mean, it's short of, short of that. It's like, it's tough to just speculate, you know? So for ups, like we can, we can run down our list. Cause there are many more ups uh, this week because they've won three straight and they've, They've been playing besides the second period. That second period was not that great. Um, mostly though, they looked good on Thursday. And so we've kind of already gone through some geeky. You mentioned Brian, DeBrusque, Weatherspoon. Um, just do you guys quickly want to list off any of the other ups that are like obvious? I mean, obviously Pasternak with a hat trick. Um, and then we can get to there weren't many downs, but we do have at least one. Well, somebody who I uh, this is gonna be quick for me, but man, I'm just I'm just 180ing recently. But somebody else that I'm I think is playing good hockey right now is Lindholm. I think he's playing uh, good hockey. Yeah, he's looking like he's looking like the Lindholm that like the Bruins got originally, and the way he played for the first you know year and a half like that he wasn't playing that way earlier this year. And I don't care what anybody. Forgot tells I had me, this. But... Forgot I had this graphic. This is <laughs> line changes. Yeah, this is supposed to be for when we changed our opinion about something. And Brian, says, oh. yeah. what is this? Is this the inaugural line change usage? Maybe I don't know. I made this a while ago. <laughs> Never I was used. gonna say I didn't even know what this was. I mean, uh, look the way the way I'm talking today. If I were to start a hockey team, I would start with Jake DeBrusque and Hampus Lindholm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was I was gonna highlight Lindholm too, but also just that pairing of him and Charlie McAvoy together. Um, I think both were excellent Thursday against Colorado in about as tough of a, of a matchup as you can possibly get in an NHL game. Um, they both played over 10 minutes against McKinnon at five on five and they're both a plus two and Lindholm also had a nice assist on, on Lauka's goal. He pinches down the wall and all in one motion collects the puck and hits geeky on the doorstep and really could have been a chance that geeky buried he kind of briefly fumbled it and then slid it back across the crease for lauko um 
But yeah, I thought, thought he had a really strong game, as did McAvoy there. McAvoy is a plus five during this three-game winning streak. Lindholm a plus four. Um, so yeah, just another very obvious one, Jeremy Swayman got his fourth straight start, third straight win. Um, you know, had to make some real high-quality saves, especially in that second period as Colorado tried to come back. So he just keeps rolling. Linus Almark was back as the backup on Thursday. I would guess Almark starts Saturday, um, but Swayman has certainly made the most of this extended stretch as, as the starter. And to circle back to two guys from our last, who's up, who's down last week, what do you guys think of Boquist, who we had as an up previously, and JVR, who we said was a little bit quiet? Um, do you think he's he's moved in the right direction? Scott, do you have an opinion on JVR? Yeah, I think he's played well recently. And he was, you know, he was a down as much as anything because he was a little bit in and out of the lineup. He had been dealing with kind of that nagging injury, whatever, whatever it was. Um, and then they got put on the fourth line at one point because I think they were kind of managing his minutes. But now he's up into the top six. He's he was playing with Zach and Debrusque on the second line. And yeah, I think I think he's playing better. You know, he's got two assists re- recently. He's made some really great plays around the net front, um, especially in the power play. He's he's back in the top power play unit, which I think I said, I don't know, two episodes ago that, you know, I wanted to see him back in that top unit at some point, and you have, and I think it's paid off. Brian, I think you're muted. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I was just going to mime the rest of the episode. Um, He he also had a goal against the Devils that was called back due to, I think, a prior offsides, but it didn't affect, like, his goal, which was, you know, the the, along the goal line pulling it. And that was a nice play, right? Right. Um, Didn't count, but – um, not because of him. Uh, so for me, like, yeah, Boquist, I like Boquist. He's kind of been like a, a mystery flavored airhead, honestly, since like the Bruins signed him because they signed him and they put him in Providence and it's like, you just don't really see him. Um, but you know, since he's been called up this, this, this latest stint being called up, it's one of those times where you sit there and you say, oh yeah, like he, this guy does have NHL experience and NHL speed and skill. He just hasn't really put it all together. Um, consistently in the scoring department but if we're talking a fourth line role right now for this Bruins team where he's providing speed and creativity and and he's checking with his legs um and he's responsible on both sides of the puck then like I I think he should also get a continued look because I think he's outperforming Loco uh despite his first goal last night I think he's better than Steen probably and and you know Beach is a player that I think we all expect a little bit more from going forward but yeah I like I like Boquist yeah, I was going to say Boquist being an up comes at the expense of maybe one of the only Bruins who's a down this week, and that that is Johnny Beecher, who's been a healthy scratch for the last two games. He's now been a healthy scratch four times in the month of January. Um, and, you know, when I don't feel like he's been playing, like, super poorly when he's been in there, like, just making terrible mistakes all over the place or anything. But clearly they do want more from him. Um, you know, that when he's been the center on the fourth line, that line has not produced much offensively and that's not all his faults. You know, we just talked about 
Lauko just got his first goal. Oscar Steen has not had many points at all this year. So I think is Steen still stuck on one point? Or has he gotten a second one at some point? But anyways, regardless, not not a lot of scoring there. Um yeah, you know not a look, lot of anything Beecher, there, Scott. Not a lot of anything. No. Really. Yeah. I mean, look, Beecher's face-off ability keeps him in the conversation because there have been times that they've struggled on face-offs when he's been out of the lineup. But ultimately, like, you do need more than that. And, um, you know, I think they're finding a little bit more with some other guys right now, including Boquist, whose speed has been noticeable. You know, you see some some offensive creativity, at least an ability to make things happen there. Um, and it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Beecher going forward, because when it comes time to activate Forbert, it's not just potentially defenseman going down, but because of their cap situation, there might be a, a forward who has to go down too. And, you know, usually healthy scratches can be kind of telling as to who might go down. And let's remember that Matt Potter has been out recently too. Like he is just now getting back from that shoulder injury last week. Uh, he was on the ice for warmups Thursday, but, ultimately didn't play. So once he gets back in the lineup, that's even one fewer spot for, for Beecher to get in. Yeah. And, and when you're, when you're a fourth liner or a third pair defenseman, you have to fight for your spot in the lineup every night. You have to make a case for yourself. It's not that you're um, you're not safe really at any point. If you're on the, on the fourth line and especially you're not safe if you're Beecher and you have one of the only two way contracts on the team that you're the easy option, so to speak to send back down without somebody having to clear waivers. So um, that's the difficult part of playing at that in that part of the lineup. If you're not making a case for yourself night in and night out, and you know other people are fighting for that spot, Bofus has wanted this opportunity the entire year. And he's finally gotten it. He is a center. I, looked, I was looking at his face-off numbers. He was exactly 50% on the game, four wins, four losses. Um I don't think he's, you know, a liability at the dot. I know you said Beecher is well, is good, but I, I will say Boquist has been in the past. His his face off numbers in the NHL in his career are are can bad. I can I ask you guys a question? Um, and with especially with this Bruins team, I'm really not cons- I'm really not concerned with labeling lines. Um, but what would you think about a, a a trio? And I know there could be some positional redundancy here. But if we're talking speed um, and potential chemistry, like I wouldn't mind seeing a, tr- a trio combination of of Boquist, Heinen, and and Patra. If you want to call it a fourth line for a few games, go for it. And I again, I know there's some positional redundancy, but like I don't know, like the way Frederick and, and Geeky are playing together, like um, on a third line role with with whomever JV, like it doesn't really matter. Um, I'd be interested in seeing that potentially at some point too. Just, just because for no other reason to see what you have. Definitely an interesting, definitely an interesting combination. You probably throw Boquist to the wing for that and Patra center. You think? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. but just to I see mean, it, it, you know, it's it certainly leaves something to be desired size wise in terms of a bottom six line. Um, but you know, if if you're kind of already reimagining what your fourth line looks like, which they clearly are because they've been trying a bunch of different combinations recently, then, yeah, then I guess any, anything's on the table, um, including, you know, 
not that he deserves it, but we did see a game where Trent Frederick was on, was the fourth line center and the fourth line got more ice time than usual that game. And I, I think that's something that Jim Montgomery wants to find too, is like, he wants to find a fourth line that he can actually use. You know, I was looking back at last year, Thomas Nosek averaged over 12 minutes a game. He was over 10 minutes, pretty much every single night. And if you look at Johnny Beecher, he has not been over 10 minutes since December 27th. Like kind of, you know, not that they're the exact same player or whatever, but you do sort of pencil them into that same role as fourth line center, but Montgomery trusted Nosek to use in three, four, five more minutes a game, which is important. Like, especially as you're talking about the second half of the season and maybe trying to manage some minutes at some point or get a little bit more balance, you know, last night's a game where all the Bruins top guys played over 20 minutes and you're fine with that in a game like that but you don't want to do that game in game out down the stretch. So finding a fourth line you can actually play is, is important. Yeah. And again, like that's this, this Bruins team is just like, you know, I mean, any line that David Pashnak is on is a first line, but it's, it's almost like this team has like, you know, call it like three second line. You know, it's like a, they have a second, they have a first line, a second line and two third lines. Like it's, I'm not 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 necessarily like an elite third line, but they have two. Uh, it, it they're not a traditional team, and like yeah, I just don't think the the day the days of like having a big you know strong fourth line that's going to intimidate with their physicality. It's not it's not really there. If they're going to try to have a fourth line that checks with their speed and their skill, then then go all in on that and and see how it goes for a little bit. And I'm shocking myself saying this, but I have to go based off of what their current roster construction is. So. Yeah, and the fact that we couldn't come up with a really great option for them to bring in on the fourth line that would be right. physical and make sense. So exactly. Yep. All right, guys. I think that probably wraps up. If you have anything else to say, I just uh, have one. Eras night is Saturday. Um, there's another Eras night. Scott, is that what you're gonna say? No, I was gonna briefly cover the news that uh, Milan Lucic's pre-trial hearing took place. Friday morning and a trial date was scheduled for February 16th. All as far as the Bruins, what that means is that you're probably not going to hear anything about Milan Lucic for another month. Um, and then one last little news and note, uh, pre- Bruins practice is happening while we're recording Friday morning. So Steve, Steve Conrad, the Boston Herald said, Marsha not skating, not a surprise. Just going to, I'm going to assume that that is uh, maintenance. But Zaka centering Patra and DeBrusque. So I think this is the first time hmm. in a practice we've seen Patra on, on the wing. So something to mm-hmm. keep an eye on. That that might just be because Marshan's out and someone needs to move over to the wing, but um, something to monitor. Mm. Definitely. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy your weekend, and we will talk to you on Monday.